as it is uh, the first Sunday of the new year, uh, we're again tonight breaking into our normal series. So God willing, uh, we will uh, continue with the letters in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 in the next few weeks. But I I would like us uh, tonight to look at something I occasionally do uh, on uh, the first Sunday of the year, and that is resolutions. Now, we all make New Year's resolutions, don't we? Um, We always tend to make them uh, in uh, things like um, eating uh, or exercise, and maybe we uh, half-heartedly try to uh, uh, avoid certain treats. Uh, But usually, uh, even if we are serious about them, by the end of the month, uh, we have forgotten all about uh, the resolutions. But what I want uh, to talk about tonight is spiritual resolutions. And uh, these have to do not with our physical life, which is important, uh, but with the life of our soul, which is even more important. Uh, let me read what Paul says uh, to Timothy, who was incidentally a young man. Uh, so you know what young men are like uh, in terms of looking after their bodies. So Paul said to him in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, verse 8, bodily exercise, Timothy, does profit a little, a little. But then he goes on to say, exercise yourself unto godliness. Godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of this life, this life of time, and of that which is to come, eternal life. So what I'm interested in this evening, I don't know if we'll go through uh, all the resolutions, but that our spiritual life thrives in 2021. I wonder, have you got spiritual New Year resolutions? Uh, Do you want in this year to go on with the Lord? You know, that's how Christians are sometimes uh, described as people who are walking with the Lord. Do you use that phrase to describe uh, yourself as a believer? Uh, Or maybe when you think of people who once came to church and had a bright Christian witness and they're nowhere now, what do we sometimes say? We say they're no longer walking with the Lord. So for 2021, my desire, and may it be our desire as a congregation here, is that we would go on in our walk with the Lord. Oh, for a closer walk with God. Hence, these spiritual resolutions. That was about four or five years ago when I last uh, spoke about some of these things. And these are not things that I've picked out of the air. These are things you will find in all the classic uh, devotional literature. I've been much helped by A.W. Tozer, a horrible title, Success and the Christian. Uh, But he uh, really uh, mines from the Christian mystics Uh, You will find them in the Puritans as well. Uh, These resolutions that have to do with the life of the soul. If we're serious about our bodies, as we should be, uh, and yet our bodies are decaying, 
How much more serious should we be about the life of our souls? Life is real, said the poets. Life is earnest. And the grave, death is not the end. The grave is not our goal. Dust thou art, to dust returnest. Was not spoken of the soul. Oh, that we would know what it is to exercise our souls, to exercise unto godliness, to thrive, even if we're not thriving physically, to thrive in our souls in this uh, new year. I don't know what God has planned for us, but I know this. If we desire to go on with him, he will help us. He will. He's never promised an easy life. He's never promised a problem-free life. But he's promised everything that we stand in need of in terms of a complete Christian life is to be found in the Scripture and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've just got a few qualifying statements to make before we come to the first resolution. I think we'll only have time for one resolution tonight. Uh, What do I want to say? Uh, Just as qualifying statements. We've got to be serious about our souls. Now then, seriousness is not the same as doerness, right? Sometimes our danger is to think, ah, yes, I've got to be serious, and we put a long face on. That's not what we're thinking about here. We're not thinking about uh, flagellating ourselves, beating ourselves up. That's not the same as spiritual seriousness. Uh, Listen to Tozer. Serious-mindedness, is there such a term? Serious-mindedness is one thing. Gloom is another. God is not gloomy, but he is serious. The church of Jesus is not a gloomy place, but it's a serious place. I like that. We have a serious joy in the Lord, not a gloomy, doer, long-faced joy. So when we're thinking now of these resolutions, uh, we're not thinking of an intensity that is unhealthy. And another qualifying statement, uh, these resolutions, right, we're not going to be able to keep in our own strength. Now, sometimes we make this mistake. Yes, by grace we are saved, and then it's as if it's up to us. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ said, you know the words, but has their significance ever sunk deep into our hearts? Without me, you can do what? Without me, you can do uh, six days a week. Maybe you, you need me in church on Sunday. No, no. Without me, you can do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Zilch. Zero. So, whatever resolutions we're going to be thinking of uh, in the next few Sunday evenings, we cannot muster up the strength in ourselves. It's got to be spirit-given and through Jesus Christ. Uh, What did we sing? I try to choose the hymns to blend into the message. Uh, You know, that's a very healthy way to come to church to ask ourselves, what is the Lord saying to us as individuals and as a church? 
So the whole service then is an unity. Ask the Saviour to help you. Comfort, strengthen and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. And what is amazing, right? Even the desires for godliness comes from the Saviour. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God that works in you both to will as well as to do of his good pleasure. So we mustn't think now of things that we somehow can do in our own strength as Christians. And then one other qualifying remark. We mustn't think of things uh, that are outward and can be done by anybody. Uh, What do I mean by that? We mustn't limit these resolutions just to mechanical uh, actions Uh, that can be done without the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Can can I give a few examples? We sometimes get ourselves really into a rut here. Uh, How often have we uh, started the new year like this? Uh, Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan, have have you seen that? It's got four daily readings. Four daily readings. Have you ever had this experience? You start off in January doing the four readings, and then by the middle of the month... You've gone down to three. By the end of the month, it's down to two. And then by February, you're down to one. And you're thinking in terms of spiritual resolutions, I've got to spend more time in prayer and reading the Bible. Now, that's a good and a noble thing to do. But that's putting the cart before the horse. What we should be asking, you see, a a robot can do that. But what we should be asking is this. Lord, may I have a greater hunger for your word in this new year and a greater dependence upon you. And as we resolve in that area, then that will work itself out in spending more time in prayer and in the word. Do you, do you see the difference? Or think of evangelism. Uh, we think, yes, I've got to spend more time talking to people about the gospel that's a very good and a noble thing to desire but my friend what's the point of that if it only comes mechanically what we should be praying is oh lord give me a burden in 2021 for souls give me a vision of eternity so that then when i'm living in the world i'm naturally looking for opportunities can you see the difference between the two so it's, it's important. And if you've got any interest in uh, church history, you will know uh, that some of the greatest Christians throughout the centuries have made these resolutions. Um, Jonathan Edwards got famous ones, as has Spurgeon and Christmas Evans. L- let me use this illustration uh, if it helps. The Christian life is not outside in. We don't deal with little things on the outside. So spending more time in prayer, uh, reading more chapters of the Bible every day, uh, talking more about Jesus Christ, and then hoping that that will somehow uh, make us grow spiritually. No, 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 no. That's putting it the wrong way around. The Christian life comes from the inside first, and then it works itself into the outside. When I bought my first house up in North Wales, I had to paint. I had to paint the garage. And I painted the, uh, the wood, and it kept peeling off the paint. And I'd paint over it again, but it kept peeling off. 
And the problem was, it didn't matter how many times I repainted the outside, the problem was inside, the wood had become rotten. And what was needed was to replace the inside, to replace the rotten wood. And then you can paint over it. Now, don't we often, with our resolutions, we're, we're constantly trying to paint the outside. We get excited about different color paints, uh, about all sorts of techniques. But the inside remains the same. My friends, these resolutions, they should affect our walk with the Lord. If we're concentrating on doing things and it doesn't draw me closer to Jesus Christ, then really, it's of no use, is it? So uh, let's plunge now into uh, the first uh, spiritual resolution I've got for 2021. Have you guessed what it is from the reading? Mortify your sin. Mortify your sin. Now maybe you'll say, Pastor, you just told us that being serious is not the same as being doer. That sounds very gloomy to me. Do you know what the word mortify means? Do you know what it means? To put to death. To put to death. Uh, if you've got a Bible, uh, look at the classic statement in Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 13. Romans 8, verse 13. Uh, the Puritan John Owen has got a book on this. He wrote it to students, believe it or not. It's the easiest of John Owen's works to read. Very challenging, but it's only 90 pages. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, um, I think in the authorised version, it says you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. But in the New King James, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. So this is the first resolution we're going to have. Do you want to go on with the Lord? Do you want to thrive in your soul? Then, my Christian friend, you've got to deal thoroughly with sin. There's no two ways about it. Uh, let, let me make this statement. Uh, we had it in our reading. The gospel of grace delivers us uh, from bondage, right? We, we are free now, glorious freedom of the son of god but that freedom does not mean license it doesn't mean we can do what we want that freedom is serving god and the only way we can serve god is by being ruthless with our sin there is no other way if we want to have a closer walk with the lord there are no shortcuts to be had that bypass mortification of sin. So, what is it? How do I put to death my sin? Look at, uh, we'll start with Romans 8.13. Look at how Paul defines it. It's the flesh that we put to death. Now, what does flesh mean? The word flesh in the New Testament has all sorts of meanings. One meaning is the body, flesh and blood. But we're not to put to death the body, right? The body isn't evil in and of itself. There were people in the early church who believed that the body was evil and the spirit was good. Now, that's not Christianity. The body 
is neither good nor evil. The flesh here means the old nature. Uh, when we're born again of the spirits, we're given a new nature. The old man is crucified with Christ, but we're still in the flesh. What does that mean? We've still got this old nature. So a Christian is a person in conflict. If you don't know anything about this conflict, then you're probably not a true Christian. It's this conflict between the flesh on the one hand and the spirit on the other, or between the old nature on the one hand and the new nature on the other. Do you know this tension in you? Uh, so to quote the Apostle Paul from Romans 7, when I desire to do good, that's the new nature. When I desire to read the Bible or pray or talk to somebody about the gospel, then evil is still present with me. We're not sinless when we are saved. We've been delivered from the guilt of sin. Praise God. The power of sin has been broken. But we've still got the presence of sin, indwelling sin. And what we call that is the flesh, the flesh. So it's not the body that we have to put to death. It's this old nature. And the old nature has a hold of us because of our bodies. Uh, so, for example... Our bodies has appetites. They're God-given. There's an appetite for food. There's an appetite for sex. There's an appetite uh, for knowledge. But what sin does is twist those lusts, those appetites. And what mortification is about is dealing with those lusts in the old nature. Starving them putting them to death. Um, here's uh, one theologian, Ferguson, Sinclair Ferguson. Deeds of the body. If through the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, the flesh. This is how he defines the deeds of the body. Don't think now of physical things, right? Acts of subtle intrigue. Sin lies hidden within the deep folds of our hearts, in the dark recesses of our ambitions, desires, and aspirations, and even in our gifts. So mortification of sin is not having a negative list of things we don't do. Now that may be part of it, but we don't start with that. It starts with inside. This old nature which I can't separate myself from. I'll only be separated from it when I stand in glory and I see his face. But as long as I remain in this world and in the flesh, however sanctified I become, I'm still going to be in the flesh. And unless I put to death those lusts of the flesh, I will not thrive spiritually. And there's a statue, isn't there, in Coventry Cathedral of St. Michael. And a slightly different um, application, but the same principle. Uh, in this statue, St. Michael is stamping down the serpent, the devil. But we've got to stamp down the flesh as well. These lusts. Uh, John the Baptist, uh, he put it like this. Set the axe, not against the branches, but against the roots, the roots, the hearts, the inside. 
so let, let's, let's think a bit more about this. I just want to try and be a bit more practical here. Uh, think of somebody going on a diet. It's not so much about not eating certain foods, is it, a diet? If we limit a diet to only dealing with foods, we're probably not going to succeed. Why do we crave certain foods? Why do we binge eat? It's getting to the heart of the matter, and that's what to got to be dealt with and it's exactly the same when we're dealing with these lusts of the flesh it's not so much the things that they cause us to do it's the intentions the desires of the heart let me give you an illustration here have you seen that famous picture uh, sometimes you would have it in welsh speaking homes of salem chapel have you have you seen the picture of salem chapel uh, the la- the elderly lady with her shawl have you seen it a very respectable well-dressed religious lady sitting in this chapel and she's got this beautiful uh, patterned shawl and you've got the folds of the shawl but the masterpiece of the picture is this if you look very carefully in the folds of the shawl you can see the devil there the devil in the folds so here is this religious respectable professing christian and yet in the folds, as it were, of her heart lies sin. And that's what's got to be dealt with. And that's where mortification comes in. It's total war against indwelling sin. Now, when I first heard the word mortification of sin, I was a student. And being a student full of hormones, I only applied it to sexual immorality. Now, of course, it applies to that. But in the New Testament, it covers all the range of sin in the heart. So if you look at uh, Colossians, you've got more detail here. Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, verse 5. This is how Paul puts it. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. So here's our old nature, having a foothold in our bodies and using the members of the body, right? The mind, uh, the desires, the emotions. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he lists things. And yes, it starts with sexual immorality, fornication, uncleanness. But then look what comes next. Passion. Passion, what's that? That's an inordinate desire, a desire that's too overwhelming, out of control. So that's not just sexual immorality. It can uh, uh, occur in other areas of life. Evil desire. If we're angry with somebody. Covetousness. This hunger for things. Thinking that the possession of material things makes life worth living. And then a little later, verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, which actually means slander, when we speak ill of another person to bring them down. Filthy, obscene language, lie not. So it's across the board. It's more than skin deep. It goes right to the heart. 
And this is how the devil, I think, gets at us. We tend to limit putting sin to death in certain areas. Whether we like it or not, we're all part of a church culture. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the disadvantage of that is that in every church culture, certain things are going to be acceptable and certain things are not. And so we very easily can talk about mortifying the unacceptable things, which in our circle is usually in the realm of sexual immorality and drunkenness. But then, yes, we've got to deal with those things, but what about the more acceptable things, the respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges calls them, the things that are tolerated amongst us? You see, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians 3 Colossians 3 doesn't make a distinction uh, between uh, fornication and covetousness. Uh, Sin is sin. We're fighting not against sexual immorality per se, but against sin. Sin, this horrible, uh, malign rebellion in the heart against God and against the things that God has made and has twisted then. So it includes sexual temptation but it includes all sorts of other things. Um, do, you, do, um, do, do they still do toothpaste in metal tubes, do they? Do, do you remember when toothpaste was just in metal tubes? As you were coming towards the end, uh, did you do this to try and get as much toothpaste out? Uh, you would kind of uh, fold it uh, to try and squeeze as much toothpaste out, and then a crack would appear. And you get toothpaste coming out, and then you'd put your thumb over the crack, and then toothpaste would come out somewhere else. (laughs) And it's like that with the mortification of sin. We think, uh, as reformed, respectable evangelicals, that we're mortifying certain sins, and maybe these are sins we are not prone to. And the problem is this. The sin appears somewhere else. The Puritans used to talk about besetting sin. What is that? Darling sins. What's that? Every one of us has a weak point. Think of the crack in the toothpaste. And it's not going to be the same for all of us. Now, some of you here, your besetting sin may be in the area of sexual temptation. So, yes, you, you must be ruthless then in dealing uh, with the desires. Uh, so, how did Mr. Hyam put it when he talked about sexual temptation? It's the second look, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with the first look, with admiring maybe somebody beautiful, but it's the second look when we lust after that person or maybe uh, watch something on the internet. And so, if we're going to put to death, that desire in our hearts, then what we have to do then is avoid even things that cause us to be tempted. So we have to be ruthless. But the problem is this. We've got to be just as ruthless in every other area. And for some, maybe sexual immorality isn't the temptation. It might be something else. And we've just got to be ruthless. I know I've read it before, but uh, Tozer, in his book, uh, Success and the Christian, uh, he deals uh, with this in a very uh, quaint 
way. Uh, this is uh, how, how, uh, how he puts it, um, if I can find the quotation. I wasn't planning uh, to read it out, um, but if this helps somebody, uh, then I'll, I'll, I'll be content. Um, there are lots of people trying to mortify uh, the old nature. What do I mean by the old nature? You see, don't just think of sexual temptation. Don't, that, that is an area we've got to be serious in dealing with. But let's not become so proud that we are somehow avoiding even the appearance of evil in that area, that we allow uh, the flesh to come in through the back door and we become censorious and self-righteous. Now listen to Tozer here. He's a quaint American folksy preacher. And I can't do the accents. What do I mean by the old nature? I mean your pride, your bossiness, your nastiness, your temper, your mean disposition, your lustfulness and your quarrelsomeness. What do I mean, pastor? I mean your study, your hunting for a bigger church, being dissatisfied with the offering and blaming the superintendent because you cannot get called to a new church. Deacons, what do I mean? I mean sitting around in church meetings, wearing your pastor out because you are too stubborn to humble yourselves and admit you are wrong. What do I mean, musicians? I mean that demeanor that makes you hate somebody that can sing a little better than you can. I mean that jealousy that makes you want to play the violin when everybody knows you can't, especially the choir director, <laughs> etc., etc. Did you get it? We've all got our besetting sin, our weak points, and we must put to death that I find there's enough sin in my own heart to be dealing with than to be finger-pointing at other people, the mortification of sin. What we've got to do, you see, is follow Paul's example and label sin for what it is. Not to put spiritual clothing on it, but to label it as sin. I know some churches that uh, are more modern than us. They, they sometimes, there's nothing wrong with having modern instrumentation and singing modern songs, but they may sometimes have somebody leading at the front who just happens to be beautiful. And there's something suspicious then, isn't there? But, oh, my friends, we can be just as guilty with our spiritual pride then. Oh, mortification of sin is across the board. How then? How do I do it? Pastor, you're talking about something impossible here. If you knew me, you knew I had no hope. Just two things as I finish, and hopefully it'll lead us to communion. The first is, you're on the ground of victory. That's why I read from Romans 6. Listen to Paul in Romans 6. How shall we who've died to sin live any longer therein? You've died to sin. When did I die to sin? I died to sin when Christ died on the cross. I'm joined to Christ, right? Union with Christ. This mystical union. I'm joined to him. So when he died for sin... I died to sin as well. So sin's hold has been loosed from me. 
Uh, do you enjoy uh, watching uh, documentaries? I've been watching uh, a documentary on Netflix on the Second World War. Uh, the one on D-Day. Fascinating. D-Day. You know, that's what broke the power of the enemy when the Allied forces landed in Normandy. To all intents and purposes, the victory was won then. All that was required after D-Day was mopping up. I know it took a year or so, but even that mopping up was blood, sweat, toil, tears, the Battle of the Bulge in the Ardennes. That, that was pretty scary. But the Allied forces were on the victory side after D-Day. And my friends, Calvary is our D-Day. And however much we may be tempted, whatever Battle of the Bulge we may have, and I'm not thinking of diets here, Christ has died and is risen, and I am alive with him. So we're on the victory side. Don't approach mortification of sin with a defeatism, because you're not going to win with that attitude. You are more than conqueror through Christ who died. So that's one thing. And then the other thing, the Holy Spirit. We've got a new nature. We, we are born of the spirits, born of the spirits. And we can't, we can't put to death these things in our own strength. But through the Spirit, what did our previous pastor say? Willing cooperation with the Holy Spirit. So I want to deal with sin. I can't do it alone. I realize I'm in Christ. I'm on the ground of victory. And there's a power within me the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end so that we can go into communion uh, with um, C.S. Lewis. Um, he's got a little book, The Great Divorce, and it's about conversations with people who are ghosts. It's a, an allegory. Think of yourself as a ghost, right? And there is this ghost, and he's got a lizard on his shoulder, Think of the lizard as lust or the old nature. And uh, this person wants to be rid of this lizard. So a flaming spirit appears. That's the Holy Spirit now for us. And this conversation occurs. Would you like me to make him quiet, said the flaming spirit. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel. Uh, the flaming spirits. Oh, ah, look out, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with something as drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. And you know what happens in the end? Something wonderful. The ghost allows the angel to kill the lizard. And you know what happens? The lizard isn't killed. By being killed, it's transformed into a stallion, a horse. And instead of sitting on the shoulder of the ghost... Uh, getting the ghost down, dragging it down. The ghost now sits on the stallion and is in control. Can you see the illustration? These lusts 
in and of themselves are God-given. Sin has twisted them like lizards on our shoulders. And we, if we want to go on with the Lord, we put to death by the spirits those lusts. So they are turned around and used not to serve sin, but to serve the Lord. Oh, my friend. Uh, Williams Pantacellian's got a lovely hymn where he prays, in, it's in Welsh, unfortunately, he prays, oh, Lord, make my lusts uh, so transformed, turn them around so that I can play them as a harp for you. Don't, oh, don't you want this year to so put your old nature to death that your new nature will thrive and you will have a passion for Jesus Christ. Well, let's uh, finish there.